What's going on, everybody? A lot of news to get to this week in the NHL. Zach Ronaldo continues to be a scumbag, uh, as I'm sure everybody's seen. Big news this week regarding Zach Ronaldo and his suspension. Mark Shifley, big injury there in Winnipeg. We're going to get to that. And we're going to break down the Pacific Division and more on Episode 8 of Outside the Glass. What's going on? I'm your host, Thomas Robertson. We're going to jump right into it. Zach Ronaldo. Arizona Coyotes forward makes the biggest headlines this week in the NHL and probably for good reason. What happened was on Saturday, the Coyotes took on the Avalanche and about midway through the game, Zach Ronaldo puts a hit on McKinnon. Nothing nothing really wrong with the hit um, around center ice and McKinnon was a little bit shaken up, and Sam Gerrard, defenseman for the Avalanche, kind of takes exception, took exception to that. McKinnon, you know, he's the star player in Colorado, so obviously his teammates are going to want to protect him. So he, he, he kind of skates toward Ronaldo and bumps into him a little bit. And normally in that situation, when there's a, when there's a hit, someone's shaken up, oftentimes teammates will rush in. And, you know, pick a fight or start a scrum with the player that laid the hit. But that wasn't necessarily the scenario in this case. Gerard was just kind of coming up to him, just lightly approaching him. Gives him a little tap saying, hey, you know, we're not going to tolerate that. Wouldn't have been a surprise to see more of an enforcer on the team come in after Gerard and be a little more aggressive. But Gerard is kind of a sm- undersized defenseman. So he was just doing what he could in that situation to let him know that, Hey, that's our that's our star player. I'm gonna try to you know I'm gonna let you know that we're not tolerating that. But so he doesn't come in there too aggressive like you see oftentimes in the NHL. He just kind of bumps into him a little bit, grabs onto the jersey a little bit. Uh, but Ronaldo, being the scumbag, dirty player that he is, immediately drops his gloves and just throws a straight right and knocks down Gerard immediately. And a brawl ensues after that, as it rightly should. A lot of Avalanche players come after Ronaldo. And I take a lot of exception to this play. I think it's a, it was an extremely dirty play from a dirty player. And there's really no place for it in, in the league today. Because what happens is, I, I can... I couldn't necessarily understand it if he was coming in to fight, but it would justify it maybe a little more. But Gerard was not approaching Ronaldo to fight. He wasn't trying to pick a fight. He didn't come at him and and shove him and extend his arms and push him. He just kind of bumped into him. And if you look closely at at the video, Gerard wasn't even looking at Ronaldo. He's just kind of bumping into him and probably going to continue on with the play. I don't think he was going to grab onto him and hold and hold on to him and wait till somebody else could come back him up. I think he was just bumping into him and then was going to continue to go on with the play because he he didn't even make eye contact with him. He was still looking at the puck and looking at the play that was going on. And so to me for Ronaldo just turn around immediately drop the gloves and throw a punch is just ridiculous. And even if Gerard was coming to pick a fight, that's not how you handle a fight in the league right now. 
if someone comes up to you aggressively after a hit like that, extends their arms, maybe pushes you a little bit, or even immediately drops the gloves, you don't just throw a punch before they can even get their hands up or do anything about it. You chat a little bit, you know, you exchange words, you come together physically, but then you you drop back a little bit, drop the gloves, and square up like normal fighters. You square up to each other with your hands up so that both players establish, hey, this is what's going down. We're about to fight right now. You don't just say, oh, you're coming up to me? Boom, I'm punching you. No, that's a cheap shot. That's a sucker punch. That's the definition of a sucker punch. Both players have to understand what's happening to make it a fair fight. So... That would be a bad case scenario, even if Gerard was coming in to fight. But what makes it even worse and really just completely unacceptable is that Gerard, to me, is not even coming in to fight. He is just kind of bumping into him saying, hey, screw you, guy. I I thought that was a dirty hit. But he wasn't coming in saying, hey, I'm going to pick a fight with you. Because Ronaldo's, you know, he's known to be a fighter and a... And a, a quote-unquote tough guy, if you want to call him that, I think he's a coward and a and a scumbag. But he's known for being a physical player, and Gerard not is not necessarily that. So to me, it's just a ridiculous play. NHL suspends him for six games, which to me is not nearly enough. It's not even really close to the mark that I was thinking. I was thinking. For me, a minimum, and this is bare minimum, like, oh, the NHL is going to really hear it if they do this. And that was 10 games. I was like, if if they suspend Ronaldo 10 games, that's going to be, there's going to be backlash for that. Because I think people are not going to think that's enough. But that's kind of like what I was like, ah, uh, that's probably the lowest they'll go. But I was really thinking up to 20 games for this, for this play. Realistically, I was thinking maybe 12 to 15 range. But six games is not nearly enough for the offense. And on top of that, he's is, Ronaldo's a repeat offender. This is his fifth suspension, I believe, since he's been in the NHL. So I was talking with a fellow hockey fan about the play on Twitter. And he brought up, it kind of reminded him of the Todd Bertuzzi-Steve Moore incident that happened about 10 years ago. And with that play, Todd Bertuzzi basically grabbed... What he did was he he was trailing him. He was kind of stalking him, skating directly behind him for quite a while. And then grabbed his jersey, pulled him back in from behind, and sucker punched him with his glove on. So Steve Moore wasn't even looking at him at all. He was completely faced the opposite direction. And if you look at the video on both plays... You'll probably come to the conclusion that they're not too similar a play. But I think the more that I've looked at both of these videos, the more similar I find that they are. Because as I mentioned, Gerard was not looking at Ronaldo when the punch happened. He was faced... He was generally facing him. They were face-to-face, kind of. But Gerard was... His body was set a little bit away from Ronaldo toward the avalanche goal and Ronaldo was looking directly at him and I think he knew what he was doing Gerard to me there's intent on this play 
There's not, oh, someone's coming to fight me. I have to hit him. I think Ronaldo's looking like, hey, oh, someone's coming up on me. They're going to pay for that. I think there was malicious intent here. And, again, Gerard's not looking and, to me, is completely defenseless. So, I think that the Bertuzzi play, which was a huge controversy, and he even got charged criminally with assault. And there was a huge lawsuit, huge settlement with that happened with that. It was huge news. But with this, you're getting six games, probably not going to be any kind of charges on Ronaldo. But the, again, the more I look at them, I think these two plays are of similar severity. Because one... What you have with both, in my opinion, is malicious intent and an intent to injure. And with the Bertuzzi incident, he... I don't know if you want to look at this as better or worse. (coughs) But (coughs) Bertuzzi kept his glove on for the Steve Moore hit. And Ronaldo, again, as we said, dropped his gloves immediately and threw... A straight right. If if Ronaldo had kept his gloves on, that's kind of a normal hockey play that you see. Someone comes bumps into you and you just kind of throw throw your hands up at their face or throw little punches with your gloves on. It's not gonna do as much damage. But with Ronaldo, it's even worse that he just immediately flings his gloves down gloves down and, and bare knuckles him to the face. And I think the key difference with these plays and the reason that you saw Bertuzzi miss 13 regular season games and seven playoff games, the lockout was the season after that, but the IIHF, I think, also suspended him from playing games. The reason you see such a, such a more severe punishment for the Bertuzzi-Steve Moore incident is the injuries. Steve Moore suffered broken bones in his neck, concussion. Um, And with Gerard, there weren't really, (coughs) weren't really a whole lot of serious injuries. Excuse me for the coughs, guys. I'm feeling a little bit under the weather, but yeah, Gerard did not really suffer a whole lot of severe injuries from from the punch from Ronaldo. And I think that's really one of the biggest reasons why you see the, the lower suspension. I think, in my opinion, if Gerard had suffered a concussion or broken bones in his face or anything like that, I think you would definitely see a, a, a more severe suspension, which is stupid. It's, it's a really dangerous place to be in as a league when you're basing suspensions off of the consequence of the play. Because that's tolerating certain plays. If you're going to say, if you're going to look at a play that's highly dangerous, regardless of the outcome, and say, "Oh, well, it didn't end up meaning a whole lot. We won't, we won't punish him for for that play." That's a very dangerous place to be in. Because again, it's the inconsistency. If you look at a similar play that happens later on, and there are injuries, but it's just the exact same play. What are you supposed to do? You know, you have to protect these players, regardless of injury. You can't be reacting. You have to be proactive on these type of things when it comes to protecting your players. So, 
again, just not near enough high suspension for me on Ronaldo. And real, I think it was a real dirty play. Speaking of that game, in that same game, Tyson Berry, unrelated to this incident, suffered a broken hand. Defenseman for the Colorado Avalanche, Tyson Berry, he suffered a broken hand. He's going to be out four to six weeks. That's a big loss for this Avalanche team. He's, he's the leading defenseman in scoring for Colorado. He's got 27 points. The next closest is Eric Johnson at 13 points. So, in terms of offensive contribution and defensemen jumping into the rush, defensemen shooting from the point, Tyson Berry is the leader on that team in that regard. So that's going to be a big blow for this Avalanche team, who's looking pretty good this season, a lot better than most of us expected, I think. Other injury news from around the league, Mark Shifley is going to be out six to eight weeks with an upper body injury, and this is the real big news in terms of injuries in the NHL this week just happened yesterday or two nights ago. The announcement came yesterday that it would be out six to eight weeks. He's the second leading scorer on the Jets with 38 points. And he's also second highest in plus minus at plus eight. And this is a big contributor for this team. 38 points is is obviously, that's a huge mark. And he was having a career year, great season. And it's going to be, I think it's going to be a struggle for this team. But maybe not as quite as much as as a lot, as you might think, losing almost a 40-point score at only halfway through the season. Shifley, only four points in his last 11 games. So here's here's the cause for concern for Winnipeg is he's only got four points in his last 11 games and in that stretch Winnipeg is only four five and two but get this each of those four games where Shifley had a point so four points in those last 11 and each of those points coming in separate games each of those games that Shifley had a point the Jets won so Four points in his last 11. If you take away those games, then it's seven pointless games for Shifley, and the Jets go 0-5-2. So, without Shifley's production, this team has struggled lately. And now they're going to be out without him six to eight weeks. They're not going to have that production, and it's going to be interesting to see how they fare. But I do think it's an opportunity for Matthew Perot to step up for this team. He is only fifth in average. He's been playing a fourth-line center role for them. And he's only fifth in average time on ice among Winnipeg centermen. But he's third in points for Winnipeg centers with 20 points. So he's giving them a lot of production, but not getting a whole lot of ice time for whatever reason. I guess they like him giving them that depth at the fourth line. But he's been producing, again, third for, for Winnipeg in points among their centermen. And I think this is definitely going to cause him to move up and get a lot more ice time. And I think we'll see him produce more as well. Not sure if it's going to be at that Shifley rate, but definitely an opportunity for Perot to prove himself and move up that depth chart a little bit. Chris Kreider, New York Ranger winger, has also suffered an injury this past week. He's got a blood clot in his right arm, and he's out indefinitely. So that's very concerning 
for the Rangers, but also for him, you know, blood clots are much more of a mysterious kind of injury that's is a little more scary to deal with. So, definitely concerning for him, hoping that he's able to get through that and return to the ice at some point. For the Rangers, the cause for concern here is he's the fourth leading scorer for the Rangers at 22 points, and they've relied a lot on their wingers this season. Their top four scorers are wingers, and they haven't been getting as much production from the center spot, so this is going to be a big hole to fill for their wing position, and it's going to be a chance for, I think, for Jimmy Vesey to step up and get more ice time. He's a young player, stepped up last year. Gave him a little bit of production. So I think we're going to see him get some increased ice time. And it'll be interesting to see how he handles that. Recapping games from last night. We had quite a few interesting contests. And one of the more interesting matchups to me was Washington versus Boston. And it's been an interesting storyline with these teams over the past couple of years. The Caps came out on top 4-3, to three, and that's the 12th straight win for the Caps over Boston, which is really incredible. These teams, both in the Eastern Conference, former, former division mates, and they see each other quite a few times every season, you know, two or three times, three or four times even, when they used to be in the same division, and... For 12 straight against the same team when you're seeing them that many times a season is very impressive for the Washington Capitals. And it's interesting. I was reading an interview with Barry Trotz, who had coached the Washington Capitals, and he was talking about how teams have certain other teams that always give them fits. And that every team in the league has those teams that they just can't seem to beat. And clearly for Boston, it seems like that's the Washington Capitals. Again, 12 straight losses to them. This particular interview, Barry Trotz was talking about the Dallas Stars for the Capitals. Who, yeah, the Capitals have struggled greatly against the Dallas Stars in the the past few seasons. They did get the win over them this season, however... And this win for Washington snaps a three-game slide and also breaks a five-game winning streak for Boston. So these were two teams coming in, trending in the opposite direction, but Washington's able to get the win at home. Florida comes out on top 3-2 over Philadelphia. And this is the fourth straight win for the Panthers, who are starting to make some noise in that Atlantic division. Again, you have Tampa Bay and Toronto leading the front in that division. Boston's also made quite a bit of noise coming up with that five-game win streak. But Florida now is about 16-16-2, and and they've won four in a row, and they're, they're starting to crawl up the standings in that division. And I've had a feeling this team was going to make some noise for quite some time now. Because of that trio of really impressive young forwards that they have in Jonathan Huberto, Barkoff, and Vincent Trocek. Each of those three guys over 30 points, very dangerous, fast, 
skilled players who are really, they each have very promising futures in the league. Very impressed with how they've played and definitely very promising to see for this Panthers team. But what's been the difference maker? Those guys have been producing all season. What's been the difference maker for Florida getting this four-game win streak has been their goaltending. And James Reimer has played fantastic for them. What we've seen over these past four games has been 135 saves on 141 shots. That's a 9.57 save percentage, and he's had a 1.5 goals against average in these last four games. That's lights out numbers. And I think now, with the skill they have up front with their forwards... And with the solid goaltending that's come together over these past handful of games, what Florida needs to focus on is their blue line and limiting shot attempts. Because even in this four-game win streak, they've still allowed over 35 shots per game. That's even with the win streak. So, they've got to tighten up their D. They can't rely on Reimer to continue this 960 save percentage level of play. I do think Reimer's a good goaltender and that he can be be a solid number one goaltender in the league, but they can't be allowing 36 shots a night and expect to, to win. So if they can tighten up that blue line, I think they've got the rest of the pieces to really actually be a playoff contender. And it'll be interesting to see how they fare the rest of the season. The Golden Knights... Took on the Los Angeles Kings last night and they came out on top three to two. Division struggles continue for Los Angeles. They have been one of the top teams in the league and one of the top teams in the West all season, but they're only three, four, and three in division play. After the overtime loss last night to Vegas. And get this, guys Vegas is 10 0 1 in their last 11. That's an 11-game point streak, and that's good for the longest point streak for a first-year expansion team in NHL history. Well-deserved from this team, too. This is a team that's going in the record books for the NHL. It's been a storybook season so far. They're the second-best team in the league, guys. And Tampa Bay is doing incredible things right now. If it weren't for that, this Vegas team would be the best in the league right now. Just think about that. A brand new team in the league and arguably the best team in the league. It's been unreal to watch them play. And I I talked about them earlier in in the series, in the podcast. And what I said about them was they simplify the game. They just throw pucks on net, and they just shoot the puck. And, yeah, they do. They do shoot a lot of pucks. They they generate a lot of offense. But I think what I was saying about them in in the earlier episode was kind of demeaning almost, that, yeah, they just throw pucks on net. That's all they do. They do so much more, and they're just so dynamic. The way they pass the puck, they might be one of the fastest teams in the league, not because of individual speed from players, but because of how fast they move the puck. Their puck movement from from tape to tape, from goal line to goal line, moving vertically down the ice is just incredible. 
the chemistry that this team has is unmatched in the league, if you ask me. And watching them last night was just a joy because not only do they have that kind of skill where they can just go tape to tape, one-touch passes, they also have one of the grittiest four-checks in the league. When they dump that puck in, they relentlessly get after it on the four-check, and they're going to get the puck back nine times out of ten. So it's very, it's it's really a joy to watch them play. They have, they've they've covered every every aspect of the game that you that you could ask. You know, they're scoring goals. They're they're quick. Their defense has been very solid, and they're gritty and tough as well. They got great goaltending with Marc Andre Fleury back now, and they their backup goaltenders, three of them, all performed very solid for them. So they have it. They have everything, every aspect of the game working right now, and it's going to be very hard to beat them in that Pacific Division. Speaking of that Pacific Division, we're going to break that down right now. <coughs> top two teams: Vegas Golden Knights at the top. And the Kings right below them. So that was a huge game last night in terms of this division. L.A. could have tied it up with Vegas at the top of the at the top of the standings, but weren't able to come back come out on top in regulation. So Vegas stays on top. And again, can't say enough about this team, what they've been able to do in their first season. So much skill as a team. You know, none of these guys individually pop off the page, as you would expect. You can't, in an expansion draft, you can't go out and get an Alex Ovechkin, Connor McDavid type talent. So, they don't have that, but the the talent that they have as a team and moving the puck is just unbelievable. So, it's been great to watch them. Los Angeles in second with 49 points, 22-11-5. They've dropped two in a row to division opponents, and as we said earlier, 3-4-3 three, and three in divisional contests. So, that's been their Achilles heel so far is, is their performance in division. And those are the biggest games when it comes right down to it. If you want to be on top of your division, you have to beat the other teams in your division, regardless of how you do outside of that division. So that's an area that they have to improve. They've got to tighten up their focus when they head into divisional games. And they're also 2-3-2 and in their last seven. So they're on a little bit of a cold streak here. They... I don't have too much concern about this team's ability to to right the ship and get back on track. They have got veteran leadership and talent on the front end. They got gritty guys on the back end. Drew Doughty. I I have been a little bit concerned about Drew Doughty's game. And my, my doubts were sort of confirmed last night. He did get a great goal. Nice tip in to tie the game at 2-2. But... I've seen some sloppy play from him, and I've seen some sloppy turnovers moving the puck in the neutral zone and also from the point in the offensive zone, not even getting passes taken away, but just getting the puck stripped away from him, maybe trying to do a little bit too much and show a little bit, show show maybe a little more skill than he's capable of or is available to him in that particular play. 
So, I do think Drew Doughty needs to tighten up his play a little bit and, and turn the puck over a little bit less, but I'm not too worried about this team and their ability to to piece some games together and, and get back on that winning path. But I do see Vegas coming out on top in this division. I really do. I don't think LA is going to be able to catch up to them. They're only three points behind right now, but I don't see Vegas slipping at any point, really. The way that they play the game is, you know, they're not relying on anything that's unsustainable to me right now. They, they're playing the game a way that they can sustain for the rest of the season. So, I see Vegas coming out on top and, and, and LA finishing right behind them, as is the case right now. Because I don't think any of the teams below them can step up and overtake either one of them. San Jose is in third place in this division right now, 20-11-4 with 44 points. They've won three in a row, all in division. And the big thing with this team is they have a real stingy defense, only allowing 85 goals so far this season, which is an astonishing 25 below the league average. League average goals against is 110. This team has only allowed 85 goals. And so looking at that stat, you would say, wow, this this is the best team in the league. But their goal scoring is pretty poor. One of the worst in the league at, at generating offense, in fact, at only 96 goals for, which, again, 14 below the average at 110. So... You look at this team, and they have some guys. They need some guys to step up. Joe Thornton has been about as about as good as you could expect this season with his age. He's really getting up there. Joe Pavelski has not scored quite as many goals as you would like. The absence of Patrick Marlowe has been noticeable for this team. He's moved to the Toronto Maple Leafs. So, they need Pavelski to step up, and and they they just need a little bit more production from their forwards, and even from their demon jumping into the play. They do so well at shutting down other teams that they don't really focus enough on activating their defensemen into the offense. So, I don't see them cracking top two spots in this division. I'm not even sure if they can hold on to their third spot right now because right below them is Calgary, 18-15-4 with 40 points. They started off a little bit better, but they've been floating around that mid that, that, that middle range in this division. But what's been the problem for them lately, the reason they haven't been able to overtake the Sharks team and solidify their their place as the third best team in this division the way I see it, I do think that Calgary is a better team than San Jose. But what's been the problem for them is their, two, their go-to guys who started off the season so hot, Sean Monahan and Johnny Goudreau. They took the league by storm for quite some time. But get this, Sean Monahan, no goals and only two points in his last eight games. That's not getting it done by any sense of the imagination. And Johnny Gaudreau, two goals 
and seven points in his last 15 games. Two goals in his last 15? I mean, this is Johnny Hockey we're talking about. The way he started this season, he was looking like he could win a Hart Trophy. But these last 15 games is just dramatically tapered off. Both these guys have. And that's been a problem for them because they don't have... They have a decent scoring depth. Not quite as bad as one of the lower teams in this division who had higher expectations we'll get to in a second. But... They do, they do in a sense, rely on the production from these two guys. And what they've been doing lately is not getting it done. And they need to see a lot more out of their two go-to guys in Calgary. Anaheim sitting at 16, 14, and 8. I think that they also have a chance to climb the ladder a little bit because they've been plagued by injuries all season. Ryan Kessler's back for them. Getzloff's now back. Silverberg is back. All these guys struggle with injuries. Corey Perry is hurt. Currently, but he will be traveling with the team on their on their road trip that they have coming up. So that'll be a huge addition to get him back, a veteran guy like him with the with the scoring point scoring ability that he has. It's gonna be huge to get him back. They had some injuries on the blue line as well. Cam Fowler missed some games earlier in the season. So as soon as they're able to get everybody back, they got a lot of guys back that they've been missing and Kessler gets off Silverberg, but once they get Corey, Be- Corey Perry back with him and they get a full healthy unit, I think that they're a really good team and they could jump as high right now. They're fifth. I think they could definitely jump up to the third spot in this division when it's all said and done, even ahead of Calgary if they don't figure it out. So it's an interesting division. I think we're going to see a lot of moving from certain teams up and down the standings and it'll be fun to watch. Uh, coming into playoff time. Vancouver, 16, 17, and 5, 37 points, sitting at 6th in the division. I don't think I see them moving around a whole lot, though. I think they're going to be pretty static. Bo Horvat's currently out with a broken foot. Six to eight weeks for him. He should be back mid to late January, maybe beginning of February if things don't work out very well for him in rehab. But... That's a big. That's been a big loss for him. He was huge on that top line with Besser. They played real well together. But you know, both of their goalies in Vancouver just barely floating above a 900 save percentage, which is not going to get it done. They don't have the goaltending. They don't have a fantastic blue line. They rely on point scoring from the Sedin twins still, who are getting decent production, but sitting at like minus 10 plus minus for each of them. So they're just not able to play that fast two-way game. They're getting up there in age. So I don't I don't see Brock Besser's been really the shining light and the saving grace for this team. It's going to be fun to watch him. I think they'll still fill some seats because he's so, so exciting to watch and he's got a great future in the league. But as a team, I don't see them making any noise any noise in the specific division. Going to that team we were talking about with higher expectations for this season, that's the Edmonton Oilers. They're sitting at 7th in this division, which I don't think anybody saw this coming. 17-8-2 for the Oilers, sitting, at, sitting with 36 points. And, yeah, this team, they've just been really underwhelming. But the promising thing for them is they're, they're really strong up the middle. They got great centers. Obviously, Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisidel, 
Ryan Nugent Hopkins has been really, really good for them. So, they just need more scoring from their wingers right now. I mean, Milan Lucic is one of their highest scoring wingers. Patrick Maroon, one of their highest scoring wingers. These are physical bruiser type guys. These are not the type of guys you want to be relying on to be 50 point scorers. So, they just need a little more skill on the wing and they need... They don't have it. They really don't have it right now. So, it'll be interesting to see if they try to make some moves. I don't know who they're going to be able to deal, though. There's not a whole lot of guys that they have, even on their blue line, that that are, that are that they can afford to trade because their, their defense hasn't been too great. So, this team... I, I, they have to they have to ride the ship at some point, right? I mean with Connor McDavid and Drysidle with their skill level, they got again, they're a physical bunch. And they're they're just better than, than where they're at right now. But they're not as good as I mean, they were one of the favorites to win the cup coming into the season. They're just not that good flat out. I see them finishing fourth to fifth in this division. And being right on the cut line of, of making the playoffs. And I don't know if they sneak in or not, to be honest with you. I, I Right now, I don't see it. Obviously, a lot of people don't see it. They're sitting at under 500. So, I see them fin- moving up a couple spots and maybe making making a little bit of noise to come in possibly as a wild card at the end. But honestly, see them falling just short of that mark. Arizona bringing up the rear in this division and in the league. Worst team in the league had. I wouldn't. I don't want to say they had high expectations because of how bad they've been in the past, but they had expectations to be a little bit better. Made some moves to acquire some new pieces. Derek Stepan came in for them, but no, it hasn't come together at all. They're terrible. Not a whole lot to talk about with this team. So we'll move away. We'll move right away from it. That's. Pacific Division breakdown. Going to be real interesting to see what ha- Again, I think there's going to be a lot of movement with, these, with, with the teams in this division, especially towards the middle of that division. And it'll be fun to watch. Got a good slate of games coming up tonight. Devils Sabres in New Jersey. Expect the Devils to come out on top in that one. Real young, exciting group of talent. They score a lot of goals. I expect to see that tonight. Devils in the over is going to be my prediction for that one. If you want to place your money on that. If you're a gambling man. If you want. Of course. Don't have to. Senators. Blue Jackets. Taking each other on tonight. Senators have been one of the interesting teams to watch in the league. With their with their start. They were a solid team. Fallen drastically since acquiring Matt Duchesne. The Blue Jackets have been a solid team right near the metro, right near the top of the Metropolitan Division all season. I expect them to come out on top. Could be more of a gritty game, more of a grinder. Blue Jackets, and if I had to pick an over-under, would probably go with the under. Red Wings-Rangers in a little original six matchup for y'all. The Rangers have they're again without Chris Kreider that could affect their goal scoring a little bit. Definitely expect more of a gritty, tough matchup here. It's pretty safe bet on the under 
if there is such a thing in today's NHL with how many goals are being scored. But I would go with the under. Home dog possible for the Red Wings. I wouldn't be surprised to see them come out on top. Not 100% sure on that one, but my gut would tell me Red Wings with the home dogs. Lightning taking on the Flyers at home. Lightning have been the best team in the league pretty much all season. I would go with them again tonight against the Flyers, and betting the over in a Lightning game is never never a dumb move. Hurricanes taking on the Penguins in a Metropolitan Division matchup. Both of these teams hovering in that in the middle of the pack in this Metropolitan Division. And it's been a struggle for the Penguins lately. I do expect the Hurricanes to come out on top in this one at home. Wild taking on the Predators in a, in a central matchup. Wild at home in Minnesota. Predators have been really, really good though. Especially lately. I love this team. I like the way that they're built. And I would... Not be surprised. See, the Predators come out on top tonight on the road in more of a gritty matchup again. Not sure. Uh, The Wild have struggled to score goals all season, so I wouldn't be surprised if we see the under hit in that one. Jets and the Islanders coming together tonight in Winnipeg. Two real high-scoring teams, two electric offenses. Even Even without Shifley, I expect the Jets to score the way they have been all season. But I like the Islanders on the road, honestly, in this one. Andres Lee and John Tavares have had fantastic seasons. They're both in the top five in in goal scoring. And this team's been one of the highest, if not the highest, goal scoring teams in the league. So I like the Islanders in the over on the road for New York. Stars and Blues taking each other on. Blues have really started off real hot. Continue to have a pretty good season. They've been a little more up and down of late. Stars having a nice little streak together over these last handful of games. And I like the team that they have there in Dallas. They got a lot of great... They got a couple veteran leader forwards in Sagan and Ben, but they got a, a group of a bunch of young guys also on that forward core. And I expect a high score matchup in this one, like Dallas, to come out on top. And I like the over to hit in that one. Avalanche and Maple Leafs taking each other on tonight. Again, Avalanche without defenseman Tyson Berry for quite a while. It's going to be a big blow for them on the blue line. And I definitely expect the Maple Leafs to take advantage of that. Austin Matthews had a goal the other night. Wouldn't be surprised to see him get one again in this game. Maple Leafs come out on top and the over hits in that one. Oilers, Blackhawks. In Edmonton tonight, the Blackhawks have been struggling lately. They've lost three in a row, I think. And I do expect that streak to continue for the Chicago. Edmonton at home, I think, is a safe bet tonight with a struggling Blackhawks team. And like the over to hit in that one, too. The Oilers have have these games, you know, they, they started off way below the average in the league in scoring. And lately, they've been having these games they seem to come more frequently now. It started off where they weren't scoring hardly any goals, and they'd break out for like eight goals. And then they'd go back to not scoring a whole lot of goals. And now it seems like they've been scoring six, seven, eight goals much more often now. They're exploding for offense more and more. Wouldn't be surprised to see that type of game for the Oilers. Oilers in the over in Edmonton. Ducks, Flames taking each other on. 
in a Pacific Division division matchup. Talked a lot about these teams just a little while ago. And again, the Ducks are are healthy, relatively healthy at least. They still are missing Corey Perry from that lineup, but they've got a lot of guys back that they were missing earlier in the season. Because of that, I think the Ducks win this matchup. Also with the struggling stars of the Calgary Flames in Monaghan and Goudreau. Uh, I think that you're going to see Anaheim come out on top in this one. And uh, I expect the under to hit in that one as well. Going to be more of a gritty game. L- low, More low scoring, especially because of Monaghan and Goudreau's struggles. If you can't rely on them to get on the board, you can't really rely on Calgary to score a lot of goals. So I'd take Ducks in the under in that one. And that's going to wrap up the picks for today. It's going to wrap up the show for today. Thank you for listening, guys. This has been episode eight of Outside the Glass. And guess what, guys? The website is launching on New Year's Day, puresportsnetwork.com. We're just days away now. It's going to be really exciting. Start your new year with new media. Because Pure Sports is going to be giving you the best sports coverage in hockey, basketball, baseball, football, whatever you need. We're going to have it for you at puresportsnetwork.com. Thanks for listening again today, guys. Enjoy your Friday. I'm your host, Thomas Robertson, and this has been Episode 8 of Outside the Glass.